before we start the podcast, just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, tickets are available on eventbrite.ie for our Easter Bank Holiday Weekend show live in the Sugar Club in Dublin. So if you go to eventbrite.ie, throw in Tordeshek, grab a couple of tickets, come along. It's going to be a great night. Uh, brilliant guests lined up and a huge... Uh, hugely entertaining evening ahead in store for all. Uh, also, if you're listening to this, it's because you're not a member of the Tortoise Shack. And while we love you listening and sharing and reviewing, we would love you to chip in and join us. Uh, you do get tons of extras for that. I mean, there's only about 874 podcasts there. And they are all available in one consolidated feed. So you don't have to have the different podcasts, the different ones on your own thing. It's just a one-stop shop. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise uh, It's the price of a fancy cup of coffee a month or, or, or a cheap pint nowadays. Uh, but please give us uh, the, the few quid and help keep this podcast platform independent and editorial free. Um, thanks for that and enjoy the podcast now with uh, Lorcan Sir. As always, a great listen. Take, take care. Welcome to Reboot Republic, a podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. I'm delighted to be joined back on the podcast today by one of our all-time favorite guests, it is Lorcan Sir, um, who is a lecturer with TUD Dublin, and Lorcan has also written a number of books on the housing crisis, and his most recent one is um, Housing and Markets, or Housing is Not a Market, or what the hell is the title? I have it to hand. <laughs> I have it, Lorcan. It's Ireland. fantastic. What is it called? Housing in Ireland, housing in Ireland Beyond the Markets. So everything beyond, except the markets. Beyond the Markets. That's an absolutely brilliant book. I really encourage people to get it. They can get it from the uh, IPA website. That's the Institute of Public Administration in Ireland. Um, it's oh, it's about twenty five euro, I think. But it's twenty five euro, yeah. And it's only it's it covers all the. You've got a whole load of people writing in it, Lorcan covering. Yeah. Do you want to give it's us the, the great and the good? Yes. Yeah, so, so the idea. Thanks, sorry for the plug. Yeah. The idea behind the book was I, I was actually getting frustrated one Sunday afternoon reading the paper and all these economists out pontificating and giving us the benefit of their knowledge about the housing crisis. And I thought to myself, like, there's much more to housing, as you guys know, there's much more to housing than, than you know, just the economics of housing and all that kind of stuff. So I sat down and made a list of things that we need to talk about when we talk about housing that. In general, the economists are poor at talking about it. Like the economists are very good at telling you what a housing market needs, which is very different to telling us what a housing system needs. Yeah. So we, we, we put together a whole load of chapters. We put together a whole load of chapters on things like transport and philosophy and regulation and land and even things like gender. Uh, like I, I can't remember the last time I had a discussion with anybody about gender and housing, even the more enlightened of us uh, about gender and housing. So we got all that kind of stuff together. Actually, interesting, I had a bit of a splash then a couple of months ago in the Irish Times letters pages with a couple of economists who were, you know, criticising me for criticising the economists and their approach to things. Um, but I, I think I won that one uh, in the end because I like I used to ask the question, when was the last time you ever hear uh, like an economist talk about housing and gender uh, or, or any of these kind of issues, really? So I, I got frustrated just with the the, the discussion being dominated by the economics of things. Uh, yeah. And so, so we and, put it together. No, so, yeah. no, it's great. It's got stuff like the, the the meaning of housing and home with architects and 
climate is in there as well and sustainability mm. and um, transports and everything. Yeah, uh, it's you know it's really really well worth the read. I think it's uh should be um compulsory reading for us all at the moment in terms of trying to understand what's going on and the different dimensions to housing and the housing crisis. Tony, of course, is also with us. Tony, producer of Tortoise Shack Media, uh, fact check. Tony is here. Uh-huh. Tony, it's great to have you back. Good to see you, Rory. Um, I, I can I, if I can be uh, if I can be really cheeky. Uh, if you're listening, folks, uh, uh, Easter Bank Holiday weekend, we're going to be live in the Sugar Club. So come along, get your tickets. They're on Eventbrite.e right now. Uh, it promises being a great night. The last night uh, was, was unbelievable. I genuinely had one of the best nights of, of my life. So so do do come along for for what what are always some of the best shows around. Lorcan, you you wear several hats, and one of them is an involvement with the Immigration Council, with um, and yeah, sorry, with the Irish Refugee Council, and the work that's been done there. And we see now, and look, Rory, we've spoken about this off air, the kind of idea that it's we see what's possible in the face mm-hmm. of conflict on the on on the continent of of Europe, and and how it's been possible to make to make changes. You know, deliver people through Dublin Airport, and they leave Dublin Airport with PPS numbers, access to health services, access to to services that people who who are sitting in direct provision four or five years on, onwards are struggling to attain. And we see what's possible. And from a housing perspective, the pressure this is creating on our on our system. Like, I mean, Rory, I, I you know, we're just obviously get your take as a, as a, someone who's who's a housing expert as well. But I think Lorcan's your position in in in, uh, in in this is is unique as well. So. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, no, it's a really important uh, conversation we need to have about, you know, what does the Ukraine, the context of of refugees coming in here mean for our housing crisis, our homelessness crisis, which has been ongoing for years. And as Tony was saying there, Lorcan, you know, we were talking beforehand around and we were going over and back about this, about, you know, rather than seeing this as a potential, which it could be. And people have been saying this to me, um, you know, I'm getting messages saying, oh, you know, suddenly all this been done for the refugees and our own homeless have been, you know, ignored for years. And you've got this real potential for the rise in, you know, racism within this um, and the anti-refugee sentiment. And of course, what, you know, we I, I respond back and say, well, look, you know, we have to address both crises. We have to address the refugee crisis and, ha- and find housing for them. And hopefully in that we can find solutions that will also address the housing crisis or not find the solutions. We've had the bloody solutions, actually implement them and see them implemented and then continue them. What's your own take of where we're at now on this and what it means? Yeah, I think there's a couple of points that it's a really interesting kind of, I hate the word space, a really interesting place that we're in, I suppose, at the moment, looking at all this. I think a lot of the things that the government have done well around, you know, they're, they're kind of in the state's immediate response to like you come to the airport and you get your PPS number and all that kind of stuff. It's really good. But a lot of that is kind of is box ticking stuff. It's easy to do. Yeah. The challenge will come. You know, it, it's easy to do. You change the, the, the someone's entitlement. It's, it's, you change a piece of legislation or regulation, whatever. You make them entitled to the PPS number. It's fairly handy to do because it's paperwork or ticking a box online or whatever. The real challenge will come with housing because that's physical. And that's that's the actuality. And what I see... What, I, what I'm afraid of and what I, I, I think I see coming down the tracks is a lot of more of the same. So there's been mentions of things like HAP, housing assistance payments, so putting Ukrainian refugees into the private rental sector just at the time when the amount of properties 
available to rent is probably the lowest it's been in 10 or 12 years. Um, and also things like building houses. Uh, like, you know, we can't build houses. Like, we don't build really, we don't really build social houses in Ireland. We're very bad at it. In 2020, which is the last year I have figures for, we built fewer than 5,000 new social houses. Now, when I say built, we built and bought uh, five, less than 4,700 brand new uh, houses and that's for a housing waiting list of 60 something thousand households so the idea that we're going to be able to house like if we put 20,000 houses in refugees Ukrainian refugees they would more than take up the 4,700 social houses alone and yet still have to deal with your social housing waiting list so I don't think we're going to build our way out of this uh, and I, I, I will be terrified that we'll go back to the same old, same old of directing Ukrainian refugees uh, into the private rental sector. And remember, the, the Ukrainian refugees that are coming here, they have a whole load of other things that I'm not an expert in, but they, there's a whole load of like kind of psychological issues and trauma and, and integrated support services that they need as well as to be housed because they're coming yeah. from a war zone, effectively. Yeah. You know? And now I'm not an expert in that, but I know that there's a lot of support services that need to be built in for them as well. It's not just housing them and there you go, you're done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, though, it's a question because obviously what we're focused on here is that housing aspect of it. Absolutely. You know, there is all these other services that need to be provided. And of course, as well, that people don't just get lost then when they're housed, that they're yeah. actually continued to be supported with those services um, and kept. But I think, though, that it is a real issue um, that how we do respond and you know, what have you seen in terms of ideas like there, there's been talking about, you know, rapid housing and rapid build and modular. And, you know, there are real possibilities in that. But as you're right to say, the danger is that they are put into hotels um, and like our existing homeless essentially become hidden and forgotten yeah. about over yeah, time. There. Yeah, I think like we've been talking about modular housing for as long as I've been involved in housing and it got accelerated under Alan Kelly. And I think in one year we got a total of 27 modular houses, you know, which is going to highlight, uh, you know, house a whole 50 Ukrainian refugees. So, you know, we need, I don't think we're going to build our way out of this. It's slow, uh, it's expensive um, and there'll be all sorts of obstacles put in the way. So tapping into the, the alternative, the HAP thing then is, is is not a great idea either because you're sending people uh, into uh, a stream of housing of which there's very little. Now, the other thing about the HAP is that if you think about it, you're, you're playing, you're in the, the danger is you could play into the hands of particularly right-wing kind of nationalist type politicians by, by using up the only stream of social housing that's available to most people who need social housing. Yeah. You know, most people on the housing list are not getting a new house, right? They're directed yeah. into HAP. And so the only stream for those people is the private rental sector. Now, you throw another 20, 30, 40,000 Ukrainians into that and say, off you go, lads, find your accommodation. That's the potential. There are all the ingredients for what you don't want, which is kind of the stirrings of nationalist kind of, you know, the, the Ukrainians are getting housing and we're not. So what you have to do in, in, the, in the housing in housing of people like uh, the Ukrainian refugees uh, is, to, is to tap a source of housing that's not already tapped. That's there already. It's existing. Uh, it's in the main, empty for most of the year, um, and it's up to standard and in good in good locations. But it won't impact on the people who need social housing. Hi, Lor 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 Lorcan, you're you're about to, you're about to do the big reveal. Tell us what what's the big untapped? Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, like if, there's two big big sources of housing. I think that could be used um, quite easily and quite immediately. 
The first one is holiday homes. We've got about 62,000 holiday homes around the country. A lot of them are not in the middle. There's, there's over a thousand in Dublin City alone. A lot of them are not in the middle of nowhere. A lot of them are in congregated settings around at the edges of towns and villages, particularly down in the southwest of the country. Um, and they're usually in good condition um, and they're there already. I mean, this is the thing. They're lying empty for, you know, 90% of the year. So I think the first the first protocol, I think, is that we have a voluntary you know, you can volunteer your holiday home to be used uh, for at least six months, but preferably 12 or 24 months. And look, if the government need to pay holiday homeowners for this, I don't mind that, but I, I don't want profiteering out of this. So I'd say, you know, you get 100 euro a week or 400, three or 400 a month or whatever, just to cover your expenses of having people live in your accommodation. And that's fine. I think I think that's the really obvious one. No politician has mentioned that at all, which is surprising and not surprising all at the same time. But I think they should really be looking at this. We're not going to build our way out of it and we're not going to hack our way out of it, right? The second one, uh, accommodation, is I think there's an awful lot of empty built-to-rent apartments, particularly in large urban areas like Dublin and Cork and Galway that are sitting empty. Uh, And I think we could use those. I'm sure the American overlord investors who own them wouldn't object, given that this is potentially a global war. I'm sure they'd be happy to do their part. Uh, and volunteer their their uh, their empty apartments for use by Ukrainian refugees on a 12 24 month basis. And again, you get a you know a statutory payment of three or four hundred euro uh, a month. But like, so that's what you do. You use the low hanging fruit that's there that's not competing with people who need social housing. Yeah, uh, and, I, and you go from there. I think that's bang on, Lorcan. I really do. Uh, and Tony Tony told me earlier about your idea, and I was like, okay, I'll pretend I haven't heard it. Um, but no, seriously, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I think you're bang on. And I would add to it uh, two other sources in that context or that frame that you're saying that are currently untapped. One is Airbnb. I think any full-time Airbnb house that's been rented out currently on an entire year-round basis, on a full-time basis, should be offered up for refugees, Ukrainian refugees. That is not housing anybody except tourists coming into the country. That's another mm-hmm. one. And there's yeah. potentially, well, we don't know, in the region of three to four to 10,000 well, properties. Well, well there's more There's more currently available in Airbnb than there are to rent in the private yes, rental that, sector. I, so that's the, that's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the crucial That's the crucial point yeah. here that you, that you can go on now and say, I want to rent an Airbnb and you'll get you get looked after quicker than you say, I want actually somewhere to live. Yeah. The yeah. issue The issue with the Airbnb, and I think it's a good idea, the issue with the Airbnb is they're, they're all supposed to have planning commission and I guarantee you the vast majority of them do not have planning commission. So you'll end up in a situation putting Ukrainian refugees into what is technically illegal account now, I think we can get over that, right? We can make an allowance for that. But, but I don't think there'll be see. any issue to get over that allowance, given that it's been yeah. completely ignored, as yeah, you yeah, say, yeah. already. So therefore, but yeah. I would have thought it's an can, obvious one. And I know can Airbnb- I can I can I ask one question, though, uh, beyond the Airbnb? And it's something that that people still continue to go on about. You know, uh, we've said that the amount of scope just in, in above resident above commercial units, the old yeah. above, above, like there's this huge scope there again, Lorcan, that requires uh, again, allegedly um, can be can be changed in the stroke of a pen. It doesn't require right. any. Well, we can change the regulations. The problem is that converting the above the shop, so there's potential for 4,000 apartments above the shop in Dublin City alone. The problem is that it takes time and labour to get those converted into accommodation, which is, you know, we don't have time. Uh, I do think we have labour, it's just they're just doing different things, but we don't have time really at, at the moment to do this. Now, the, the other part of this, right, and it applies to, to Rory's Airbnb suggestion as well as, as my holiday home one, is the idea that if people don't want to volunteer to do this, we have a thing called the Emergency Powers Act from 1939. It was, it was discontinued in 1946. But Section 
Part G of that allows the state to appropriate any land or property at once for as long as it wants. You know, under the auspices of this is an this is an emergency, and we can do that. And if necessary, I mean, this is this is an emergency situation, uh, and if necessary, we can go down that route again uh, and have an emergency powers act. If a lot of people, if a not sufficient amount of people, choose to volunteer their Airbnb or their holiday homes or their student housing or their you know built rent apartments or whatever it is, I would have no problem with that. And it's probably easy for me to say that as a non holiday home or Airbnb owner, it's probably easy for me to say that. But but yeah. I, you know, it, you know it is I, I think again, Lorcan, I think you're absolutely absolutely right um and again uh, you know as a non uh, airbnb or holiday home owner it's uh, really easy to say it but <laughs> the point is though that you know there is you know you're absolutely right it is an emergency but it's an emergency on top of an existing emergency and that will come back to my fear that as you said you know right wing nationalists will use this the right wing extremists who have been organizing around the housing issue for a number of years saying you know all the migrants are getting the housing you know this is why we're in the housing crisis because we've so many migrants here so many immigrants here and we have to i think be really clear that we have to find solutions that find housing for those who are in need of housing here already and for the refugees and i think that's a brilliant w- idea about you know using our existing capacity and, and on top of what tony was suggesting we also know now there's a whole load of vacant offices huge, and a massive number of vacant offices. Um, and Lorcan, I know what you're saying about the time of conversion, but surely it would be you could convert offices that are in good standard, probably relatively quickly to a, some form of emergency accommodation rather than putting people in tents. Yeah, you, you can, of course, uh, Rory, there's, there's a few different technical aspects of the bit fire safety and all that, but it, it doesn't matter. But the point that I would be afraid about there is that you would have you you convert offices fairly quickly, very rapidly into some sort of low to mid grade kind of accommodation on the basis yeah. that they're temporary, right? Yeah. But then they turn it yeah. temporary quite yeah. often turns into yeah. permanent, which is which yeah. is which is the issue. I think if you if you look at the, the holiday home stuff in particular in the Airbnb, you're tapping into a different supply, which I think is which kind of neuters the, the the right wing kind of nationalist kind of thing, because you're tapping into a middle class supply of housing, which doesn't affect the social housing supply, if you know what yes. I mean, which I think is yeah. interesting. And and as a stop to the to the, to the middle class holiday home owners like you could still use your accommodation down in Bear Peninsula because you could just swap the Ukrainian family to to Castlenock for two weeks in August and you go down there you know we could make arrangements there people have said to me like oh a lot of these houses are in the middle of nowhere and how would they get around that's a really good point but look it's a lot easier to set up to pay a guy 200 quid a day to set up a private bus company you know to do the minibus in around and into Carmel and back out to the the refugees holiday homes than it is to try and build houses it's a lot easier, faster, quicker and cheaper uh, to do that. So, and, I'm, I'm... and also we will know as, you know, currently there is some capacity in hotels to be taking refugees in. But we see this with homeless families all the time. As soon as summer season hits, you know, this year is going to be the first proper summer season in, you know, since before COVID. The hotels will be saying, sorry, we can't take them anymore. They need to go find somewhere else. So you're in this situation where the hotel capacity that is provided is also just on a te- temporary basis. Whereas you're right, the holiday homes, they can be provided, do you know what I mean, on a somewhat semi-longer term basis and the Airbnb think, as well. Yeah, I think, to be honest with you, I think I think people would be generous enough with their holiday homes if yeah. the idea was out there. You know, and, and, and quite often in terms of just as a, as a from, from a building perspective, it's better to have people living in a house than having the house empty. You know, if they're lighting fires and turn on and off the heat, and you know, just generally using the building, it's much better for a building to be a nuisance to be vacant uh, for security reasons and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And what, so, 
Now, what did you think of there was because the, the other um, appeal that went out quite quickly was for vacant properties and derelict properties. And that's something that, you know, yourself, and myself have been highlighting for years as well. The capacity that it was there. But I, I don't know, Tony, if you saw, but I, I the numbers I heard of people who came back with offers was in the region of maybe I'm wrong now, 7000 or something like that. Or for which specific for to house people? Yes. Oh, it's, it's far in excess of 10,000 now. Um, no, no, no. I mean, people who had a vacant home. Not, yeah, not people who are offering no, no. to take someone into their own home, but a vacant property. That again, she's, <laughs> but I thought it was quite low. It is quite low. To the amount of vacant properties we have. Well, well, well you consider we 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 arguments to say we've bought ninety two thousand vacant yeah. properties, and and there's an argument to say that's actually under undercounted, um, by a large part. So so it is very small. But again, um, I, I to Lorcan's point that if you've got if you got like nearly 10, 15% of people to agree to that who are vacant properties, you got 10, 15% of people to agree to it who have holiday homes. That's a huge and burden. Airbnb. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You're, you've, you've already, you, you don't need, you don't need 50% of people to agree to this. We have the capacity mm-hmm. here and um, we have the capacity to start making a serious dent in it. Whereas I, I, I look, one figure stands out to me. Okay. No one. Uh, we've moved mountains to welcome Ukrainian people here, and that's and as we should. But we're now over something like fourteen and a half thousand Ukrainian people have arrived here. That's just over a month into the into the conflict. After two years of the 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 war in Syria is over a decade long, uh, de- decade old on in actually in March it's over a decade old, uh, decade old this month. At the same time, in two years, we took in 128 Syrians, right? That's what we'd taken in, despite pledging to take 3,000. By the end of um, 2020, we'd actually gotten to 3,000. So it took us 10 years to get to 3,000. We've done four times that in less than a month in terms of this. Okay, there's all sorts of issues there. Proximity, you know, um, I hate to say it, there's also a mercenary aspect to it where people are saying, this is great. We're getting these lads in and we're offering them jobs immediately. There's a there's a, there's a workforce um, uh, shortage. I mean, that don't listen to people when they tell you that we, we're, work shy, we're work shy. We're pretty much at full employment. In fact, the ESRI has said we've more people at work than we had had COVID not happened in their estimation. We're all, we, you know, that's how, that's how, much more people are at work now. So we don't have that. We're not suffering from that, that, that either. But on the flip side of this, it's, it's, it's putting pay to the idea that we can't fix these other situations. Like, Lorcan, we talked about the refugee crisis, but it was still like the white paper for ending direct provision still hanging out there. You know, when is this going to start to go? You made suggestions on that. Um, it must be nearly two years ago at this stage. Yeah, the, the white paper is like there is a group within the department who are... Um, implementing that at the moment and, and making inroads into that. Again, my fear with that is, and, and I, I'm aware of it because I'm on an expert group with Catherine Day and David Donoghue, who is actually ex-Irish ambassador to Russia. Um, and we're kind of overseeing that group to make sure that things do happen. The danger that I see it, again, is the same danger as the, as the Ukrainian uh, situation where we go back to the same old reliables of happening the private rental sector and local authorities and trying to force more people uh, into a situation uh, where there's already constrained supply. We seem very bad at generating ideas for new supply uh, and are trying to kind of create new streams of accommodation. Um, a lot of a lot of 
you know, and, and it's funny. So we rely on the private rental sector. At the same time, in the private rental sector, we have got you know something like two thousand landlords a year uh, leaving the market. When really you kind of need, if you if you're going to use the private rental sector for this kind of stuff, which I don't agree with, but I mean that's the reality at the moment. Um, but then you need more landlords in the market, and not not fewer landlords uh, in the market. But there seems to be no no incentive coming from government. They want to use the private rental sector to house all these people, but yet they're not prepared to do anything to encourage you know landlords to stay in the sector. So going forward gear and reverse gear all at the same time. But but I do think that it's an important point that Tony is making as well, that we really need to look at uh, our whole you know approach to refugees and asylum seekers from this. Like there has to be a real, you know, re- Re, core, massive reform of how we do things that you know we are are open and, and I think that are much more open to taking in refugees from all war situations and, and in terms of those who need it and I think that needs to be the change that comes out of this and in part that follows then that because we know it is not just going to be wars that are going to create massive movement of people but the climate crisis is also going to create and is already creating people having to leave their homes. And so I think that what we should be taking from this crisis as well is we actually need to think there's going to be more and more people coming in from around the world. And we need to be set up for that because we are a country that is extremely privileged in terms of climate um, and in terms of the economy. And therefore, we need to adjust. And I think to me, this comes back to, I know what you're saying, Lorcan. Yes, we need to find these short-term supplies, but it needs to come back to the freaking state has to go, we're going to build, renovate to not-for-profits and ensure people have homes, refugees have homes, because relying on the market on investor funds, it's never going to do it. I think what this has exposed, um, Rory, is like this crisis has exposed our huge gaps in our housing policy. Yeah. And the fact that, we do, and for decades, we've, we've been, do, been doing the wrong thing and relying on the market and all that kind of stuff. Um, and not alone have we got a moderate kind of temperature climate, which is going to be very suitable. I think you're absolutely right about the climate change is going to drive population shift. We also have, like for the size of the country, we're relatively underpopulated. Yes. So we have got, we have loads of space um, and we have loads of land and we have loads of land ready to go to be built on uh, in the country. So, so Ireland could, potentially be a very attractive place for people who are displaced from other countries uh, to come to. Now, I know we're on the far edge of, uh, you know, the next stop is going to Boston or whatever, on the edge, on the periphery. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to be a place that people will want to come to, particularly given, you know, our climate advantage and the fact that, you know, if we got our act together, we could use our space a lot better. We could house an awful lot more people than we do. But the crisis has exposed huge failings in our housing policy to date. Can I, sorry, can sorry, I make a point thing, yeah. on that? Because it's really crucial we linked it to. And I know it's not this conversation for today, but I want listeners to be aware of this. So 2013, Simon Coveney said Ireland is going to produce by 2020, produce enough food to feed 50 million people. And he also made the point that climate action was going to make that very difficult. We've actually gone the opposite way. We're more food insecure than we were in 2013, which is insane for, for the country that 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 we are with the, with the with the advantages that we have naturally. And we have and we've made made our, our housing situation worse. These are all intrinsically linked. I mean, we have an opportunity now, an opportunity now to look at this as 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 in, uh, let's let's change direction when it comes to our food security. Let's change direction in our housing supply and let's wean ourselves off, you know, the fossil fuels that are supposed to be causing all of this by going gang gangbusters on 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 renewables. I just think 
because like myself and Lorca were talking before we came on, Luke Ming Flanagan made the point. Someone in the EPP in the European Agri, Agri uh, community said, here's the thing. I want you to all sign this letter where we're, we're, we're giving out about Russia. But what he'd actually put in it was, oh, and, and uh, derogation on pesticides and make sure we don't worry about the, those biodiversity things that we targets we have to hit. It was it, there. They're going to look at it from a business perspective. The right wing neoliberal area is going to look at it as an opportunity. We need to actually be able to, and they're better at it because they've they got paid lobbyists. They've got professional lobbyists who are in and yeah. out and do it better. And we 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 lose this opportunity now, and it's it, it's grim that it is an opportunity. Like I, I, but, I, but I, think I, no, totally- I, I no, I'll shut up now. But like today, Mar- Maria Mazenseva was on was on RT Morning Ireland. Um, speaking as behalf of the Ukrainian government as an MP talking about trying to get arms into our country. I know Maria as an environmentalist. I, I gave the number to RTS to give her a ring and, I, and there she's talking about war. I don't want those conversations. I'd rather people be talking to her about the Green New Deal for, for, for the EU, which is what she's passionate about. But here we are and let's let's try and take that and turn it on its head and, and win some some more battles do in 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 the in the fields of housing, renewables, and food security. So, rant over. <laughs> yeah, but every every crisis is, is an opportunity for a lot of people, and we see that with the with the pandemic and COVID and so many in the UK. I can't remember how many billions of money has been thrown down the drain and wasted at companies and given to companies who didn't even have to bid for for contracts. And you know, it made a, you know a handful of people incredibly rich. I would be afraid that in in the Irish context as well that emergency solutions would involve a, an element of profiteering and make a handful of people rich to produce kind of housing that was substandard, which is why I'm kind of keen on on taking our time about this, you know, obviously housing people straight away, which is the holiday home thing, but also taking our time to come up to craft a more long-term sustainable solution because as Rory says, it's going to happen again. So the idea of handing out contracts willy-nilly for people to build modular housing that's going to fall apart in 10 years' time and in the meantime be very expensive, I, I'd, be, I'd be cautioning you against that, you know, as much as possible. But isn't it another kind of when we look again, you're right in terms of taking the time, but it's like we know the solutions in the sense of it is us figuring out ways in which we can get non-market provided housing on a major scale. But our system has become so dominated by investor funds that I think in some ways it's blinding policymakers and civil servants to like, oh, they're the only possibility. And like I, you know, I was putting a post there about um, on Twitter about, you know, the amount of money that Glenvey Homes, for example, made in profits. They made 47 million in profit, profit last year, 47 million. I calculated it was about 41,000 per home they sold. And I was like, 41,000 in profit per house they sold. And of course, the the top top guy in there, Stephen Garvey, is on close to a million a year now. And then someone else pointed out that one of the people on the board is a former NAMA asset uh, manager. Um, and you look at it and you go, you know, really, it does go back to we should be doing things like setting up a state construction company. We should be doing things like you know, taking Hugh Brennan and the Okulon Alliance and setting out how do we scale this up to providing ten to 20,000 homes a year? Like, they're the sort of things we should be doing. See, a, a lot of the, the the reason that the investments are the only game in town financially is because we've changed the planning system to make, particularly around things like, I'm not going to get into the technicalities of all this, right? around things like density. Uh, and so there are minimum density requirements and, and only certain types of buildings can now be built in certain locations. And that 
ultimately ends up in fairly high-rise apartments for investment. And the only people, sorry, fairly high-rise apartments, and the only people who can fund that and who will fund that are these funds. So we need to change the planning regulations, and that will kind of neuter the impact of the, of the funds. And we can do that, and it will also bring the small to medium Irish kind of builders back in the game uh, again. Uh, and because they've been missing one of the problems we have in, our, in Ireland in the last years in the EU in 2018 identified this, is a lack of competition amongst uh, housing suppliers. And a lack of competition generally means more price rises. So we can change our planning regulations tomorrow if we want to, to kind of neuter the impact uh, and make housing more affordable for the builders to get in and build. And then also, I think at the same time, and it wouldn't be competing because it would be a different price bracket. I think you're right. I think we need a national building company who will go out and build housing at much more affordable levels and also provide the mortgages if needed. Yeah. As in what used to happen. My own father, when he when he died, I took a, a found a biscuit tin of his some of his, he was a good filer actually, but this these files weren't in the filing filing system. You know, in the biscuit tin, I pulled out his mortgage from Kildare County Council in 1970. And that's where he got his mortgage from. That's what we used to do until we gave all up to building uh, building societies and to banks and all that kind of stuff. So there's much more. I think, if anything, the pandemic has shown us that the state, uh, it, when it wants to, is you know it has a greater role to play. And, and and what do you think that means as well now? For because we've combined with the need rightfully to house uh, the Ukrainian refugees, which we should absolutely be doing. And as I said, and as Tony was pointing out, we need to look at how do we house as well our existing refugees very very quickly, um, and be taking in more from other countries. Um, how do we address the cost of inflation, which is going to happen now? Um, in terms of particularly building materials, we we're seeing report in the Business Post the construction industry is going to go on strike, which again points out why the fuck have we given them complete control of our housing system that we have no idea what it costs to order X amount of uh, steel or wood. Whereas if we'd a state building company, we would know exactly the costs and we would be able to to uh, get it, which to me is another argument for that. But where do you think, how what impact is that now going to have? Because people are saying, people are looking at their, their savings for deposits being burned up through inflation. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're if you're a mortgage holder, inflation is not necessarily a bad thing for you. But, if you're, but like you say, in no, general... No, you're looking to buy a home. Or, yeah, or, yeah, no. If you're in that case, yeah, you're more not alone. This has been burnt up by inflation, but also the fact that we have very few houses coming on the market every year. Like mm-hmm. we're transacting not enough houses in the secondhand market, and we're only, despite the I don't know if, if listeners are aware of this, but like our housing output has gone up nearly fifty percent in the last five or six years. But most of that additional fifty percent has been either social housing or apartments for rent, about half and half, or apartments for rent, which are not much good for most people. So what, what you end up with is about 7,500 brand new houses coming on the market every year for people to to buy from their you know estate agent window. And that number hasn't changed in the last five years. So despite the fact that the overall output has gone up, the yeah. number coming on the market hasn't changed, which means to me that the house building market has spotted that's the sweet spot for supply versus demand to maintain that kind of high house price uh, that, that's going on the moat. And once, if that doesn't change, I think people are always going to be uh, in trouble. Now, the only thing that might happen is if interest rates goes up, if interest rates go up, uh, prices should start to moderate because banks will lend them. This is more Tony's area of mind, but like banks will lend them less money, so they'll have less money to compete with. Uh, but on the other hand, you have a, you've got a demographic bubble of a huge amount of people out there there's looking for housing. Huge pent up demand. I mean, I think they said there's only ten thousand homes available for sale in all of in the in all of the republic in the in in the twenty six counties, and uh, that's all that's available. 
I mean, you're looking at like, Larkin, you said it's gone up by 50% in delivery, but it's still only 8,000 units that are available to buy. People are competing with the state more and more. The built to rents that, that Rory references all the time, some of that, many of them are, are in receipt of some form of whether it's, whether it's the hap that you've already complained about on this podcast. And now we have a situation whereby, uh, the market is they're on they're delivering what what keeps the prices uh in line with what they what they want to deliver in terms of profits so you know like there's cranes all over and um, when i look out my window heading up through but they're building they're not building the type of things that that you or i are calling for absolutely not um and and we know that that's actually that's that's deliberate and the state have um have Look, I mean, I'm not talking. I'm talking about stuff that we all already know on this podcast. They've they've said they've abdicated their responsibility on that, and they're trying to then, you know, now say, well, you know, for four hundred cost rental units out in Inchicore and and two hundred over there, and nothing like that. Uh, Rory, as you'd say, would would make a dent in the private rental. No, no. But, but if we look at, I, I do wonder. You know, you're talking about interest rates rising. Lorcan and that potentially restricting, you know, the amount banks will lend. But the problem that I've pointed out over and over and that um, others have completely ignored is that it doesn't stop the global wall of money, which is probably even going to get be more funneled into residential property as a result of, you know, the financial, you know, instability that we're going to see more and more global wealth funds wanting to invest into property like into Ireland. And as long as we have things like the really facilitative tax breaks, basically, you know, come pump your money in, you can raise rent on a new property or whatever you want, that that is going to continue to swallow up and devour our housing system, which we've, Tony we've, is right. Like I look at it, like I go around Dublin, I go out to Maynooth and, the, uh, you know, you'll see Pellets Town, you'll see them all. And you, the government go, great, loads of new cranes up. What are they building? They're building yeah, apartments quite, that are going to be built. Quite, a, lot of them are, are, a lot of them are pretty awful as well, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah we've been very weak. Countries like Denmark and Spain and parts of Germany have been very good. On re- I won't say restricting, well, restricting yeah, is the answer, but also rebalancing uh, so that you don't get the investment funds taking over the system as they're doing here. And like that, that's not a good thing. Uh, and, and you know, you, you really need to get a better, like, I don't know, I don't think any Irish government is ever going to get rid of them like they have done in some other countries. But and what I mean, rid of them, like, might, rid of but them. I could tell you in 10 years time, <laughs> if this is just going and going, we will have a Berlin referendum here as well. People will be revolting if they can't get the buy their own home or have a secure, affordable home yeah other jurisdictions yeah other jurisdictions have restricted them to kind of commercial property so buying you know your mcdonald's and your industrial sheds and all that which is grand i i I i'm not sure if they ever have the guts here to do that and partly because (coughs) excuse me if they haven't got the guts to do it one of the reasons is because they've got nothing lined up to replace them yeah Uh, and that's about it would create a big vacuum now the fact that they're supplying niche products at high prices to a niche young mobile international tech force as it says in the in the guide in the planning guidelines seems to be irrelevant to them when when it's it's not suitable for ordinary people and ordinary wages wanted to raise an ordinary family if you know what i mean we have we have we seem to have ignored those people i think they're the people who are going to revolt and they're not just working class families they're like all sorts of families yeah yeah uh, can i, I can i can I, um rory i sent you a thing the other day about say phoenix arizona okay like like let's it's a strange one to look at but it's just it's just fascinating to me they've they've in the last couple of years between blackstone and, and these residential real estate investment trusts and whatever way they're calling themselves in the US they've now account for nearly 33% of of the of the market there it's so bad now that the, that the governor is now saying we'll give we'll give them 
two grand, two two thousand dollars to rent to lower income families because they dominate the, the rental market and they're being incentivized further on top of the sort of incentives that we do. You know, here's your here's your low tax, here's your here's your way of writing it down, here's your here's your guaranteed your guaranteed rent yields in effect. And now yeah. we're now we're instead of actually tackling them, they're adding saying here's a two grand sweetener per per uh, tenancy you do through through the through the state. This is what terrifies me about our our government is we we tend to do those things the the things that you can we can hang on it on 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 a simple thing on well we've introduced this thing and it's an extra and it means they're going to take in an extra five hundred people and who can object to that because but you're going but it's just actually keeping that false ceiling of of high rents in place because we're now incentivizing it sorry yeah, here. Here, here, you know, well, here, here so they're thirty three percent in in Phoenix. Is that what you said? But here, it's around. They're pushing around one in five of all new homes is, is provided by these funds in in Ireland, which is quite a lot. And and, and I was done, at Lorca, to back you up on, on Dublin. I I put out the figures on Twitter. There, they just came out there for twenty twenty one. And in terms of uh, new properties built in Dublin in twenty twenty one, there was two thousand were bought by households and 2,000 were bought by non-household buyers. Yeah. And so the non-household buyers, which we know, we don't know what, what it breaks down between investment funds and, and social housing, but it's likely yeah. to be more investment funds, um, at least 2,500 is over double what first-time buyers bought of new homes. Yeah, yeah, you can see it in the revenue in the stamp duty transactions figures there. First-time buyers are being displaced massively in urban areas, and so are second-time buyers. Actually, interesting, second-time buyers, which isn't older people retiring. It could be people who bought an apartment in their 20s and now want a house in their 30s because they're having kids. Second-time buyers are being hugely displaced uh, by the activities of non-household, which are either councils or funds. Now, you shouldn't be competing with your council anyway. I mean, that's just bonkers. So what we've done effectively, right, back in the day, we used to give people a lot of, in, in the late 70s, early 80s, you could get about half the price of your brand new house back to mortgage interest relief and grants and help to buy and all those kind of subsidies. So we, we helped people get a, get on the, the, I hate the phrase property ladder, we helped people buy their first property with the expectation that it would be paid off when they're 65 and they could live on a modest state pension, okay? So that's what we do. We we, we front load the help and then at the end of their, their lives and careers or whatever, we don't have to look after them a huge amount. They can live on a modest state pension. Now, what's going to happen if we have a whole generation of people living in rental accommodation? What's going to happen is there'll be we won't front load them because there won't be any help to buy. They won't need it because they'll be renting. But when it comes to the end of their career, we're going to have to subsidise them hugely because they won't be able to live on a modest state pension. And all that money, instead of staying in Ireland, like with the help to buy and and all that, all that money is going to go to the New York pension firefighters pension fund or the Canadian teachers pension fund. It won't even stay in the country. So we've taken the most expensive solution with the least welcome outcomes, if you know what I mean. Instead of front-loading our contribution that at least stays in the country and promotes home ownership, we're now going to end up backloading it really expensively. All that money's going to go overseas. Can can I come in and ask both of you though? Back to the the original topic of we now we we've gone, we we're in a situation whereby we've we've heard numbers as high as two hundred thousand refugees arriving now. That that you know. It sounds astronomical, but when you consider, like I think it was Krakow's in population by increased by twenty percent in less than a month by the influx of Ukrainians who who fled the war. Ten million people displaced, at least you know, at least three or four million of them in in neighboring countries. So while those numbers are, are vast, Ukraine is a country of forty million people. Here's we talked about you know interest rates going up and that. I see actually the way we dealt with the pandemic. Might have been a might it might give us some sort of template where we say actually the EU has to step step up and and instigate some form of 
housing fund to fund this where, wherever it may be, wherever it happens. Do you think there's any possibility of something like that? Because if we can act collectively when it came to pandemic and we did, we act, I mean, like Spain has gotten like 17 billion in, in funds from the European recovery fund as it is. There's the, the, the money is there, Lorcan, the money is there, Rory. Like, do, do you think we should be, that should, that's maybe the way we do this. If we act, if we act collectively. I know, Lorca, do you want to take that first? I, I, I think you're absolutely Not really. Right. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree with there. You know, and if we are an economic union, which is what the EU is, it's not a military union, it's an economic union. Yeah, we've got to help ourselves financially when our neighbours are, you know, in, in trouble. And that's the way you'd hope that they do something similar for us. 200,000 people coming to Ireland, you know, it, it, housing them is only part of the issue, really. It's everything else that goes with that. It's getting the kids into school. It's language classes. It's, it's you know, getting them, get them inoculated, getting kids, you know, getting kids inoculated. The whole lot. Uh, there's a there's a whole kind of um, plethora, a suite of things that has to be done. And the the unfortunate thing, or the thing I'd be afraid of, would be that one bad case, because that's going to create tensions in areas. Without a doubt, it's going to create tensions in areas, and I'd be terrified that that there'll be one case of of something, you know, something going wrong with a, a Ukrainian refugee family somewhere that's used as as a match or as a as a, as a, a spark. To, to start objecting to this I think I think that's what I, I'd be terrible like Ukrainians are humans too and we're, like we're no great people when we go abroad uh, quite often so I would be terrified that you know that something is small and innocuous the, the first the first per, the first person who's fled a war zone and doesn't leave with trauma and maybe has something that happens and has an, an unfortunate incident and then is preyed upon by i mean i don't you saw that video of that nut job who was actually too far right for the national party harassing Ukrainians in Dublin airport I mean, no, no, I didn't. Yeah, it's, like, it's it, it, but of course, and not only that, you know, we've child trafficking going on. You know, we've heard in terms of again the housing crisis, um, you know, sex for rent, sex for rent, women being, you know, exploited. Mm-hmm. We know it's it's likely to happen. You know, that people are going to be exploited, and and again, it comes back to this is what happens when you leave housing up to the market, when you leave people who are vulnerable exposed to that. Um, they get exploited. They and I think for me, like you know, my my uh, daughter came home today saying, you know, there's going to be a Ukrainian in her class coming in, and she's so excited, and and it's absolutely brilliant and it's wonderful. But it's true what Lorcan says. You know, this requires capacity in our education system, in our housing system, in our health system. And people, you know, you don't have your head in the sand. Those systems have been underfunded and under-resourced in this country for since the foundation uh, and if i never could... had a proper welfare state so this has to come back to do you know what our state has to freaking step up here and the mm. idea it comes back and shows how nonsense Vradker's idea of cutting taxes oh well and yeah. you know our state has to you know has to provide these key services particularly as we're going to have refugees and the, the scale coming in but also to people here already um, I think that it we have to push harder for going the reasons why, um, you know, the, the current, as, as Lorcan says, you know, the idea of Ukrainian vulnerable families been given HAP and been told to get private rental. And, and there's no guidelines. There's no guidelines either. If people take, so a lot of people have pledged, you know, open rooms in their own houses, which is great and wonderful. I suspect about 10% of them will actually end up being used for lots of reasons. Only 10%, I mean. so But there's no guidelines on the relationship between, say, some Ukrainian refugee family and the host family. There's no guidelines as to the status of the legal relationship. And that is that is a recipe for disaster uh, in some circumstances, uh, without a doubt. Like, are they a tenant? Are they a licensee? Are they a guest? Uh, what are they? And the other thing is refugees are not vulnerable adults, like, you know, under the national vetting 
Bureau, the Children uh, Act, whatever. So we have, there's issues there around about the potential for exploitation already. Uh, yeah. I think around yeah. that, you know, and I think the sex for anything, the sex for anything. I, is, I, I, I've made this I point there. that it's really, it's really callous. But I have uh, three, three cats and a dog, and every time I, I've, I've adopted them, I've had someone come to my house to make sure I'm, I, I was fit to take it, and I've had someone on on a who's involved in this in this process of the people who volunteered room saying they don't have the capacity to check the the. The yeah. people are volunteering. So it's just, you know, it is a scary thought. Um, but I do think that, you know, I do think this the offers are overwhelmingly genuine and overwhelmingly sincere. Oh, and, and 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 Irish yeah. people have really stepped up. It's been phenomenal. I, Rory, um, you're uh, our, our uh, we have we've we've children in one of the same schools. There's there's uh, Ukrainian students already in in that school yeah. and and one of the students uh, speaks russian and he's and he's been used as the as the conduit because they their common language is, is russian and not ukrainian so yeah. you know people are finding a way but that's the wrong thing we shouldn't have to find a way we should be able to yeah. support and but, resource but like, these. all those exactly but those people finding a way and all that wonderful human you know natural automatic empathy solidarity desire to help the state should be supporting that rather than, you know, just basically landing that in and saying, you know, just make it work. And I think that there is a real challenge to the, the you know, the, the Fianna Gaelers, the Fianna Fallers, the centrists, the right wingers who are like, yeah, yeah, Ukraine, you know, we support them all the way. But you know what? You need a state that provides proper health care, yeah. proper housing and proper education. Yeah, yeah. Ta- ta- we're actually going to really support them. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers don't put a roof over your head, Rory. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, actions, actions speak louder than words. That's it. Well, listen there. Listen, Lorcan, thank you so much for coming back on uh, and giving your very precious time. Um, and you are, all, as always, inspiring, wonderful. And I just I do uh, pity the listeners that they can't see your beauty as well. And they only, <laughs> they only get to hear your, your beautiful tones. But uh, listen, thank you so much for joining welcome, me guys. and Tony on Reboot. Now and and that what's Larkin? Can you please plug the book before we finish? Give the correct name. Yeah, how the book is called Housing in Ireland Beyond the Markets, published by the IPA Institute of Public Administration, IPA.ie, and available on their website or in all good and some bad bookshops. Yeah, definitely. I recommend it very, very strongly. Uh, it's actually quite. I've got a few compliments from people that are totally unexpected out of the blue. I got emails saying this is a brilliant book, uh, and ironically, it's a book that I kind of put together really quickly. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a book that came really, really quickly, and actually, it's the book that I've received the most, uh, definitely the most emails about it from from really unexpected quarters of quarters that wouldn't be fans of mine uh, yeah. to say this is really well, well good, done. You know, so. Well done, absolutely, and deserved for taking the initiative on it and pulling it together. No, definitely, it's a real addition. Um, and as I said, hopefully guide. And as always, before you spend a few quid in the book, throw us down a few quid on the patrons. Yeah. Uh, sign up to Tortoise Shack. Patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. Become a patron for whatever you can. We completely rely on you. It costs to produce. Tony is the producer. Tortoise Shack Media. Uh, he's got a whole load of service and servers and service uh, in his garage, which yeah. uh, hosts the, the podcast and it costs money every month to host this, to produce them, to put them up. Um, and we completely rely on our listeners. We have no advertising or sponsorship. So please do um, go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise track. You can sign up for two fifty a month, five or a month and more. And you get the podcast straight to you first into your email inbox before they go out everywhere else. You also get to hear the wonderful Sunday show. Um, and many, many more wonderful things. So thank you very much. We'll talk to you all soon.